Thanks for downloading the Azaran podcast. I'd just like to issue a content warning. There is swearing in this episode. So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, maybe just be aware. If you are in an office environment, maybe pop on your headphones. And if you have any feedback or questions, uh, you can get in touch with us. Details are at ozarin.com. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ozarin Podcast. Hey! hey. Ryan's not here, that's why I'm not here. Yeah. It's just me and Liam there, we couldn't get a guest on. Um, so it's just us two, it's going to be like the, the old days of fuck video games. Yeah, do you remember fuck video games? No. Do you remember it? It's it was, it's good because it's old. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, hello. Um, so we should start off with um, the poorly remembered video game quote from last week. Yeah. Um, which was... There's no reason for us to stay here any longer than we have to. Let's split up, look for any survivors, and get out of here. Which was, of course, from Resident Evil 2, and it's said by Leon Scott Kennedy, and I believe but it's not the Leon, it's not the clear A Leon B run, because I played that recently and the quote wasn't there. So it'll probably be Leon A clear B. There's no reason for us to stay any longer than necessary. Let's split up, look for any survivors, and get out of here. Yeah, so you play Leon first. Uh, I would imagine it's in that run. Um, it's also in Spaced. It is. We, um, we have a, a winner. That's right, was it Was it Steve? Yeah, Steve Steve got the quote. He got the quote and he got the TV show. Oh so, my god. Uh, I believe that's a double win for, for Steve. Well, we'll try and get some kind of prize. I'm going to see if I can find a prize. Okay. In fact, no, I have a prize. It's a copy of Smackdown 2 Know Your Role for the PlayStation 1. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, that will go to Steve. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it to Steve somehow. So you can, you two can play, um, like create a character more than that, I suppose. Great game. This is not a commitment to prizes in the future. No, it's well, because uh, Steve has won twice in a row, so like he'll start expecting something. So we might as well nip it in the bud right now before it gets <laughs> like out of control. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have another pearly remembered game quote towards the end of the show, I guess. Do you have one? I have one um, that I can do, yeah. That's good then, because I don't have one. No, I, I thought of one right now. Oh my god. Um, we also have to, uh, just a bit of um, administration, I guess. We, we have to make a correction. An addendum. Yep. Um, and this is courtesy of Steve again. Last week we were talking about Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Divided, yeah, that's um, And also Final Fantasy XV, two games which we criticised for having dialogue which basically told the player that they were going to miss out on something or that they weren't going to be able to return back to it. Yeah. Uh, and I believe we used The Witcher as a example of good doing it well. Yes, we did. Um, so we criticised these two games. Um, but the correction has to be made that Steve pointed out that The Witcher 3 is guilty of the exact same thing we criticised those other games for. Yes. Um in that, I believe it's when at the start of the game you're with Vesemir. Yes, and uh, the big castle. Yeah, I know. Um, maybe that bit, but it's when you're in you're in like a smaller village, aren't you? And you're fighting oh, the yeah. Griffin. And yeah. at the end of that, it's like you won't be able to return here if you go past. That's right. Yeah, I forgot um, about that. And there might be other examples of it later in the game. I completely forgot that, that it did that. That that entire bit of the game it is sort of cordoned off for the rest of the game. Like you can tell, it's kind of it's no tutorial area. It's kind of like yeah. get your payments. Yeah, everything that happens in there really is contained to that area. Yeah. Whereas later on in the game, a lot of stuff that you do will have repercussions and things. It, yeah. It's more like a, a, a wee 
sandbox to get you used to the game before you move on to it's, the it feels world. more like it's like we're, we're doing this before we go on the big proper adventure yeah but um, Steve is absolutely right uh, to point that out um, mm-hmm. so we will go back on that and, and say yeah The Witcher 3 is guilty of it too I will say that um, my opinion on that kind of interaction with the game and the player is still poor I think that there's better ways to do it yeah um, I understand why they do it mm. Uh, and I understand the intentions behind it. It just feels a bit jarring. Um, so maybe The Witcher Three isn't as flawless a game as we previously thought. Well, here's it's pretty I've, flawless. I've got um, I've asked a game I've been playing recently, Parasite Eve Two, which does a very similar thing, but it does it through character dialogue. Yeah. Like um, at, at one point you are in a, a small town, and the next part of the game takes place in a bunker in the Mojave Desert in Nevada. Which is the the town is near there, but you're going to move there, and you, you don't really come back to the town. It's, it's made pretty clear that you're going there, and then you're not going to come back. Yeah. But it's through character dialogue, like um, your partner Kyle Madigan, and uh, the guy that lives and the the sole survivor of that town, both make it pretty clear. It's like you better put all your stuff in the van or the the truck that you're going to go to this bunker to, because you're not coming back. So it's it's the game never says. Put all your stuff in here. Yeah. You're not going to come back here ever, so make sure you take everything. The characters make it clear by saying, it's like, we're, we're going to be leaving soon, you better pack up and get stuff ready. Um, and so it, it's, it's all through like through dialogue and how the player interacts with the yeah. environment. So, And it makes sense that way. It kind of doesn't... It's, it's logical because the character might actually say that in that scenario. Yeah. It's like in Final Fantasy VII does the exact same thing when you're in the Northern Crater. And it's the part where uh, it's just after the parties have split. You put them down the two separate paths, mm-hmm. and you join up again just at the very uh, the entrance to where Sephiroth is going to be and the yes. final battles. And I think Sid says it to you. There's maybe. no turning back or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's because like we can't come back from this point. We better make sure we're ready because there's no turning back after this because they're about to confront the final. Battle. Yeah, it's when you start going down the, the platforms and you fight, you know, for complete. Yeah, and there is physically no way back up, yeah. so they, it does make sense that somebody would go, well, hang on, we obviously can't get back up from there, so we better make sure we're prepared. And so I feel like, although it is a... It's practically the same, you know. It has the same... It says the same thing to the player. And it's it has in a different way, yeah, that's all. And it's the same intention. It's just hiding that in something a little bit more seamless. Yeah. Um... So I don't really appreciate when a box pops up and says, are you sure you want to go this way? You will not be able to return for quite yeah. some time. In um, fact, in, in 7 as well, you actually, if you want to get all the items out of the Northern Crater, you have to take advantage of the fact that you can, in fact, turn back at that point. Yeah. Because there's obviously there's the two different routes yeah. when you split up. There's the th- route through the swamp and the route through... I can't remember the rest of it. I, th- I think it's just the, the kind of rocky crater bit. Um, so you have to like send your characters in specific ways and backtrack yeah. through each of them to get everything. So like it's it makes sense in that yeah. respect that you would do that. So. Um, but by that argument again, I think uh, in Mankind Divided, you were saying it was a character that said it, and I want to m- make it clear that I feel like it, it's a very fine line between it feeling like they're talking to the player or that they're talking to the character. Because yeah. in Mankind Divided, the way you explained it, it felt like they were talking to the player. Yeah, not the character. So you, it takes you out of it because it's basically breaking the fourth wall. It was more that, like, when I was talking to the character, like, they gave me the option. It was like, um, like, what do you mean? Yeah, um, I would do it again, or like, well, let's stop now. Yeah. If I asked, like, let's stop now, the the character should have went, okay then. 
It's because the game second guesses your decision and yeah. says you might not want to make that decision, and here's why. That's exactly what it is. It's basically take, it's it's putting its hand on your shoulder and going, "Listen, there's actually more of this." Yeah. And it's like, like I don't like if I if I'm going to make the wrong decision, let me make the wrong decision, That's and I'll thing. learn from that. That's the whole like The Witcher is very good at that. It allows you to make your mistakes, and then it doubles down by punishing you for your mistakes. Yeah. Um, Deus Ex is a game that prides itself on being. Uh, driven by choice the player yeah. can choose what they're doing uh, and for that game to then be like well you've made the wrong choice so maybe make the other choice yeah. instead of being like you've made the wrong choice here are the consequences yeah. the consequences is as much a part of choice um, as any of it you know so to it feels like they've maybe uh, crippled it a wee bit by being like oh well that's the wrong choice do the other choice because it's better um, but yeah, so uh, just a wee bit of a correction there. We were wrong, <laughs> um, but we're open to being. We can admit that we were incorrect on like saying how a particular game did or did not approach a thing, but it doesn't really it doesn't invalidate the point we made. No, uh, but I think it's best to clear it up and admit that um, maybe our love for the game that is The Witcher Three blinded us to its faults. It's still better than fifteen. Yeah, it's uh, better than a lot of games. Yeah. I really do love The Witcher Three. It's a good, it's a good game. Um, should we talk about what we've been playing? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned already. I've been playing Parasite Eve Two. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go back and play Parasite Eve One, which you just purchased. Which I just purchased. I found a copy on eBay for uh, I think got forty quid. Now we actually had a discussion about this earlier. It's just a, a sort of slightly off topic, but it's made a bit like how games are priced and sourced. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, I was looking up pricing for Parasite Eve on a game value website that, that was the one I posted yesterday to yeah. in the chat do you remember what it was called uh, I can't but I'm sure I can like, I actually found a slightly better one yeah um, so I can I can forward it to Bry and yeah. he can like post it in, in the, the comments yeah um, but and it, it's based on US prices and US eBay bids and mm. it sources all them from bids that have been paid for and all that kind of thing and it gives you an average price based on that um, so the average price for a complete inbox copy of Parasite Eve in the US is twenty dollars, right? Um, which it does not sound like much, but then think about it a bit more, and it's all completely contextual as to. I mean, the game was only ever sold in the US, yeah, and there is also a greatest hits version of it as well, uh, which is the US equivalent of Plan. yeah. Um, but they have a green label. It's green and red, isn't it? It's green and red. It's yeah. ugly. Yeah, it's, it's horrible looking. Platinum is much nicer looking, yeah. but it is obviously a lot easier to get in the US because it was released in. We saw a lot of copies in. Japan as well, yeah. Parasite Eve. It's, and two as well. If you look it up on eBay, Parasite Eve 1, uh, in my experience, because I'm, I'm wanting a copy at the moment as well, um, because we've... I'd say we've been on a bit of a PlayStation 1 kick recently. I certainly have. Um, yeah. We've been playing a lot of the same games. You've been playing... You played Resident Evil recently, and you're playing Parasite Eve now. I've just started yeah. Resident Evil 1 a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But um, So I was looking it up, and it's, if you do search on eBay, the majority of the time, if you're looking for an NTSC copy... You will only find Japanese copies. Yeah, um, and I think this is something that was it yourself or Johnny pointed out recently that uh, it actually sold really well in Japan. Yeah, it did it incredibly well in Japan. But uh, Silent Hill didn't. As yeah, Silent Hill did really badly in Japan, I think. Um, which was a uh, kind of strange. But so, if you're looking for it, not only is it kind of difficult to find a US copy that you can purchase and ship to Britain, because um, you were saying earlier that it's actually it's not that hard to get. In the US. No, absolutely not. But a lot of sellers just don't bother 
shipping to the UK. Yeah, there's there's probably so little demand for the game in the, in the UK, uh, and I mean, why would you ship out with the US if it's going to cost you like I don't know an extra ten twenty dollars to do so when you could quite easily sell it to somebody in the US? Yeah, there's no point to that. And um, the the seller I got it, my copy from um, in the UK was well, he was based in the UK. I should have said. Yeah. Um, and he imported it. Well, I mean, they imported that. I'm assuming it's a guy. Um, they imported it. Christ knows when, like ages ago, probably. Like when the game was new. Which is the point that I'm trying to make is that like it's fine when the game is new if you're importing it. Yeah. And especially if it's only sold in the US or Japan. Well, because people will want it at that time. It's yeah. relevant. And so. uh, now twenty years, like well, nineteen ninety eight, almost well, almost twenty years down the line for when Parasite Eve was originally released. Like, why would like there is? It's going to be incredibly difficult to get it outside the country. It was originally only released in. Yeah. Well, the two countries originally released in. The Japanese copies are really easy to get. Yeah. Like you can find them like for tuppence. Um, I mean, I think I paid a equivalent of like a tenner for my Japanese copy. Did you pick yours up in Japan or did yeah, you? Yeah, I got it in the the Ikebukuro Super Super Potato. Yeah. I got mine in. So I can't remember how much I paid for mine. I picked up Parasite Eve one and two while we were in Japan as well. Um. And one of the one of the most like, I'm, I mean, you have to be jealous of game collectors in Japan because you go there and they've got this abundance of retro games, all in like really great condition. Yeah. Like if you were over there, they're marking them down. Like, well, this is a this condition. That's a C because if you go into the shops, they will put labels on it and they'll price it by condition. Yeah. And they will give it a grading, and they'll be given these like C's, and you'll look at it and go, "This is much better condition than anything you'd get over here." Um, and everything was cheap compared to over here. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people online, they're like, well, don't go to Super Potato or don't go to Akihabara. Uh, go to the smaller ones, go to Book Off because Super Potato, they sell it. Price gouge. Yeah, yeah, they mark it up. And I'm like, well, compared to over here, I'm not noticing that it's, there's any price gouging because it's still much cheaper than here. And I don't really care. No. I mean, um, the thing I found particularly is Book Off they felt more used. Super Potato quality was... Everything had... Majority of them, they had their spine labels. You know, the old yeah. cards and everything. Whereas Book Off, it was something that felt like it, people weren't really that... No, they, they were they were clearly in used condition. Like, yeah. I mean, I got um, the copies of, uh, well, Rival Schools and... It's no Rival Schools 2, it's like an expansion disc. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the OB or the old cards, whatever you want to call them. Um, but, like, it's... Super Potato stuff was like markedly in better quality, which is strange because I don't think there is as much of a community for collecting games in Japan. But yeah. like the quality of stuff is better in general anyway. It's very odd. I mean, it's kind of everywhere, isn't it? People don't have this. There's no video games have this weird culture of being disposable or mm. forgetting things that were in the past. There's no. We've talked about game preservation on the podcast yeah. before. Um, if a game is five or ten years old mm. you'll find that the drop like the amount of people that are interested in playing or owning that game at least in its original form drops off alarmingly people are quite happy to buy the remastered versions and play mm. them when they come out um, but nobody has any interest in playing it in its original format in the original release yeah. people just get rid of that stuff and uh, I assume it's the same in Japan but um, they definitely look after stuff uh, and pricing is an interesting thing as well. We were talking about how Parasite Eve was harder to get here, even though it's probably not as hard to get in the uh, the US. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't released here, it was only released in the US and Japan. 
but you would expect to be able to buy them from there and import them, but it's, it seems kind of harder. Uh, it really also changes like the value of a game depends on the, the market it was released mm. because people don't buy things cross-market so much. No. If, uh, if a game is released in the US, it'll have a separate value than if it was released here. Um, yeah. Things like, uh, I don't know if, not necessarily between here and uh, America, but I've got a, an American copy of Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Uh, I've got um, a Japanese copy of Chrono Trigger. My American copy of Chrono Trigger is, uh, I believe the value I checked at was like about $140 or $200 yeah. in the box condition that I have it in. But if the Japanese copy something like 50 quid or less, I think. Isn't I think I picked mine up for like 1,000 yen. Yeah. Um, and even even things like uh, there's Mr. Domino. No yeah. one can stop Mr. Domino. It was a game I was looking up last night. Uh, it's not a well-known game. But if I was to buy a, a PAL copy, mm-hmm. it's 40 quid was the going price on eBay. There was about five copies. Yeah. Each of them were priced at 40 quid. I don't know if they didn't check the selling price. But if you were to scroll down to the US copies, NTS copies, you can get them for like £10. Yeah. So that's a £30 markup just because you want a PAL copy rather than uh, an NTSC US copy. It's mad, honestly. Yeah. But like, it makes sense because like when you consider Chrono Trigger, like, mm-hmm. um, Japanese copies are quite cheap because that game presumably probably sold quite well in Japan. Yeah. Because it's, it's a Squaresoft RPG. It had art by Akira Tor- Toriyama. Yeah. Um, it was going to be popular, whereas in the US, it was probably it's a far more niche audience. Like, obviously, yeah. the Super NES was really huge in America, but that was probably one of the smaller games for it. Yeah. Like, people were more likely to go and buy Super Mario Kart or Super Mario World or, or Star Wars or something Fantasy. like that. Or Final Fantasy, yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy 3, well, 6. Um but that's probably why it's so hard to come by because not many copies sold and they probably weren't kept very well if they were sold. So yeah. like it's just hard to find them. And nobody's going to want to buy a Japanese copy purely because they won't speak Japanese. No. Which is understandable when we're talking about Chrono Trigger. But what surprised me is you find the same thing when it's English games. If it's between the PAL and the um, NTSC mm-hmm. uh, US market, yeah. the same disparity between prices exists. Uh, obviously, any PAL game is going to be sold in fewer quantities as an NTSC game. Yeah. Usually, because just the way it is. Um, more population, more yeah. sales, stuff like that. Um, so, but why would you go and say, um, I really want the PAL version over the NTSC version? They're the same game. They're both in English. And a chipped PlayStation or a US PlayStation doesn't cost that much. No. So, it's just funny that it's like £30 more. I mean, I guess people want the one that they played as a kid. A yeah. big nostalgia factor enters into it. Um, I, ter- I certainly wanted the version I had as a kid. But, yeah. Uh, have you been playing anything else? Or has it just been... Uh, no, just Parasite Eve 2 at the moment. Um, what have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing a bunch. I have been playing, still playing Resident Evil 1. Um, I've recently just got to the spider boss. I don't know what you call it. I know the snake's called Yawn. I think it's just... A tarantula. Oh, okay. It's huge. Yeah, huge, it's a big, big guy. S- spider bastard. Um, I was kind of annoyed because I died and I hadn't saved in a while. So that's always a thing. If you go too long without saving in Resident Evil, it kind of puts you off picking it back up again for yeah, you're a mail, moment. You're more inclined to just so oh, I'll date another day. I'll just switch the console off. Yeah. Um, which uh, is what I did. I just turned it off and went and played some Overwatch. Um, I recently, last night, restarted Doom uh, 2016. 
um, as part of my New Year's resolution to finish games. I never finished Doom, so I need to finish Doom before I can buy another game. Or I need to finish a game. Um, Doom, of course, is That's where games like Overwatch are dangerous because you can never finish Overwatch. Yeah, Overwatch, and it's so much easier to pick up Overwatch and play a few matches than get into Doom and go, right, what am I doing? Got to progress, got to do this. Um, Overwatch is a time sink, is what it is. And it's an excellent time sink, um, because that was going to be one of my other titles. I've been playing Overwatch... Um, and then um, the one that I think I've played the most of since the last podcast has to be Civilization Five. Oh um, yeah, and that's five, not six, which I haven't bought yet. Um, but I've been playing multiplayer games with uh, Tom, who's been on the podcast before, uh, and another friend, Lindsay. We've been doing um, three-player games, uh, and I've been faring pretty badly. Yeah, you told me about like um, trying to declare war and then you were <laughs> unceremoniously hammered for it. Yeah, uh, I was being a dick in that game. Um, I'll maybe I'll go into... I started build, like uh, building up what I thought was a fairly respectable military. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't. But I went to Tom's borders. He didn't really have a military because he, he's not militaristic. He tends to go for, I think, other victories? I don't know. Uh, so I thought, I'll go and... What a loser. I'm going batter Tom. And um, I went to his borders and I said to him, I'm going to fight you. Give me 400 gold, which was all of his gold at the time. Uh, and he did it. He gave me 400 gold. And then I attacked him anyway. Because I didn't put uh, I didn't put that I would not attack him into my thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can, but either way, I did it. Uh, and was quickly um, dealt with by Tom. So I retreated back to my uh, home nation of Japan. Of course. And I was like, all right, well, I've seen his capabilities now. I'll just build loads of boats and go and have another go at him. So we had a peace treaty. It was 25 turns or 10 turns or whatever. Built up my boats. Peace treaty ends. I was like, right, this is it. This is time. Went across the ocean to go and batter Tom, only to find out that, of course, he had a um, built an alliance with Lindsay, who then... Um, came around with all her boats and they both battered me again and I lost the game. Oh no. I was in last place, so uh, and it's happening again. I thought this time I won't go military, I'll go science victory or something, but yeah. I'm not actually good at it, so uh, I think Lindsay's in the lead. Tom is also in the lead. As far as I'm concerned, they're both just there hundreds of points away from me and I'm there like I don't know what to build next. What do I do? Why am I unhappy? Why is this stagnating? Who's starving? What? Um <laughs> This is not as easy as when I play it on the second easiest difficulty level in single player. Um, maybe I'll learn one day, but I don't think so. They're both just good at the game. So good. I'm but not, it's so much fun. I love Civilization. I've never been one, much one for um, RTS games. Then. I'm, just, I'm bad at micromanaging and making those kind of decisions in games. That's I'd rather just have like a small set of things I need to deal yeah. with. That's the thing. I'm quite into board games and strategy games uh, but I, for some reason I just find Civilization a bit overwhelming it's maybe it sounds like there's maybe too much going on yeah. or like not too much there's just a lot going on I mean because I enjoy playing there's other ones like Europa Universalis mm. I enjoy playing that but I don't understand it and I'm terrible at it that one's even more so that's more like diplomacy rather than conquering and it's quite an intricate di- diplomacy simulator I guess in like 
Yeah, they are, they're more, they kind of give them more like, like being a dictator simulator rather than a game. It's yeah. odd. Um, but uh, that's been taking up most of my time. I played some single player as well. Um, and I learnt a bit more about it this time. I'd had about 70 hours in-game oh previously. Uh, and I'd never really gotten that much, like gotten very good at it. But um, I went and I read up and I learnt about worker management and building the right things to get the right victories and stuff. Mm. And it's just... Uh, so I felt like I was going to do better in this second game and I'm absolutely not. <laughs> I'm getting uh, trounced, I think is the word. That's an appropriate term. Um, it's fun though I'm having a lot of fun and it's just a nice sort of it's relaxing too because you're just sitting chatting while you're doing it there's not a lot of like player interaction you're still kind of doing your own thing as you're doing it Mm. unless you're directly fighting or trading or whatever Um, uh, and so you're just sitting doing your thing and and chatting and it's nice Um, I don't think I've been playing anything else Uh, I've been playing my Neo Geo Pocket Card Fighters but it's not got a backlight you can't play it um uh what else have I got for it? Card Fighters. Sonic and Pac-Man. Uh, yeah, Buckfast, the Hedgehog. Uh, Paceman. 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 That's really it, though. Um, what shall we talk about? Uh, well, let's talk about... Before we go into stuff like the Switch and that thing, which was obviously probably the biggest thing that happened this week. Like, Oh, yeah, I forgot. Let's about talk that. about the the injustice that was the cancellation of Skillman. Jesus. Yes. Um... I don't know if you guys remember last week. Oh no! When we were, we it. yeah, we were talking about Scalebound. I think we even were like, "Where's it been?" We were talking about uh, um, games that Platinum were making, and then we go into Scalebound. You asked where it'd been, and it just—I think last, just last year, in the last like within six months ago, yeah. it'd been delayed yeah. to like sometime in 2017. That's why I said, "Is it not out yet?" Yeah, like, not yet. And I was like, "All oh, right," but um, um, now it's never coming out. And I believe. Uh, it was actually between recording the podcast and it being released that the game got cancelled. Yeah. So we recorded. It might have been the day after. It was either the day after or the day of the podcast going up, I think. I it's can't remember. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the thing is, people... I always thought the Scalebound looked good. I hadn't really kept up with development of Scalebound or anything. Mm. But I, I read that some people were not that interested in it, or it looked kind of weird or... Well, it wasn't really what people expected from a Platinum game. Allegedly what had happened was um, the concept of Scalebound was based on something that Camilla always wanted to do, mm. which involved dragons. Because he, he loves like Western fantasy and stuff like that, but he's also quite Japanese-minded in other ways. Yeah. Uh, like The original concept for Scalebound was it was going to be a young woman that controlled lots of dragons, and that was how you like handled enemies. Like You controlled dragons exclusively, like rather than having any of your physical like weapons do anything for you. And you would be this young woman who did all that. Um, Microsoft liked the idea, but they didn't think the, the concept of a young woman character would sell to Western gamers. So they made it a guy with Beats headphones. Um, and this is a recurring theme, apparently, that people are postulating this, that happened through the development of Scalebound. Like, Microsoft interfered a lot. Yeah. Um, there was also, like... Um, well, not also, but like one of the bigger um, theories of that is based around the last demo we saw of the game was a four-player multiplayer demo. Right. Um, so it was a four-player PD against a big, like I think it was a crab. Um, and it just seemed like the multiplayer bit didn't really fit with the rest of the game because it was all, everybody was the same character. Yeah. But for that kind of game, it would seem like 
you should probably have like a create your own character type thing and you'd have like an avatar that represents you yeah. and it seemed like it was a bit kind of like kind of ca- trying to cash in a monster hunter or something like that um, a bit shoehorned in yeah and the year before that just after E3 Kamiya had tweeted something that basically says oh, are you fucking with me um, it was um, are these MS shits trying to fuck with me yeah um, and the, the postulation is that Microsoft forced them to add in a multiplayer element which didn't work um, they started underpaying staff Kamiya had to apparently take time for stress although he denies this happened Um came back and the game was in such a mess that Microsoft decided to cancel it, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, Brilliant. he's quite an outspoken guy, Camille. Yes. So, um, I'm sure we'll hear about it maybe at some point. He's always said so far is that he regrets it being cancelled and that he wants to try extra hard to make sure his next game doesn't disappoint anybody. Yeah. Um, there's a bit more of the whole thing with Microsoft, though. Like, um, do you remember... They announced the remake of Phantom Dust. Yeah, that got cancelled, didn't it? That got cancelled as well. And there's there has been people reading into this a bit. Uh, there, there have been... I think it was on NeoGAF. There have been people posting um, claiming to be ex-developers of Phantom Dust yeah. saying that Microsoft had given them a small amount of money for like to basically do a a small kind of single-player, like multiplayer-only game. Yeah. Um, and that was going to be like a digital exclusive. Um and they weren't really very far in it. And then the announced trailer for Phantom Dust, which they showed at E3 2014, I think it was, um, was made completely without their input. Yeah. They were not told this was being made. Um, so the game got announced at E3. Um, the team that were actually making the game didn't know that was happening. Were then coming by Microsoft and says, right, this has been announced. Uh, we need this game out like, quite quickly. Um, we also need a single player element. I said, okay, are you going to give us any more money? They said, no, they had. A, I think it was a three, a thirty million budget or something like that. Yeah. Or three point. It was very low. Um, uh, Microsoft kept imposing deadlines on them and trying to get them to add more and more stuff, and then eventually just cancelled the game because it wasn't meeting the standards. It's strange because they've cancelled a couple of other things, haven't they? Yeah. I can't remember exactly what, but um, this stuff that they showed, they showed a lot of this ages ago. They cancelled Fable Legends as well. Yeah, they did, didn't they? And they shut down. Lionhead. Lionhead, which is a, a real shame because they've got a good studio. And you have to wonder, what is it that's... What are they doing? There have, there have been claims that it's either a gross misunderstanding from Microsoft's part about what their audience actually wants yeah, or um, just willful negligence Cause of their it, studios. It seemed like Xbox One um, had a bit of a rocky beginning. Like, Very rocky uh, beginning. But it felt like kind of Microsoft had learned from that, and although PlayStation Four was still the better choice, in my opinion, mm-hmm. Xbox One had come a long way and was a solid console. Yeah, with stuff that was coming out, it looked alright. Um, but now you're getting things like I would have maybe liked to play Scalebound eventually. You know, yeah, I'm going to buy an Xbox for it because I'm not going to buy an Xbox. In general, yeah, uh, but if a few de- uh, you know years down the line, Xbox One is cheaper, I'd have picked it up. I'd have liked to play Scalebound. Yeah, it things like fun. Sunset Overdrive, uh, whatever. Um, but it feel- feels like all these titles that they were like, "Oh, look what we've got! We've got all this." And then they're, and they're just, just throwing them flies. Yeah. yeah, like um, the announcement from Microsoft about the cancellation was, "We regret that this has to be cancelled. Please look forward to other titles." There was no like. 
explanation as to what happened. Yeah. And then they immediately went on and be like, but look forward to Crackdown 3 and all that. It's like, Crackdown 3 we've not seen in over a year. Yeah. What's happening with that game? Like, they, they're still going on about this, like, do you know, like, the whole gimmick of Crackdown 3? Uh, is it? No. Basically, you can, like, the, the gimmick is that in... Like you can the, destroy anything. You can destroy everything and it's all based on cloud-based physics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the network of the Xbox Ones that are currently on the Xbox Live to handle the physics via cloud computing. I don't think that sounds... That sounds stupid. It sounds really stupid because it's just not going to work. Why should I give up my performance? Like, why should I give over any of my Xbox computing power to somebody else? I don't know. That is, it, it sounds... Like it, it's based entirely on this one thing that this... Pie in the sky idea that Microsoft is like, oh yeah, the, what the if, Xbox is the cloud and all that kind of thing. What if too many people are playing Crackdown at the same time? What, what if what if some other developer wants to utilize that for something that isn't Crackdown? But won't let them. Like, um, <laughs> um, being like, oh, we'll get more resources by using all of the computers. It's, it feels like they're still finite. You can't just, you know, it's a it's it's a, an Ill, it's a it's a nice idea, but it's ill ill conceived. I think is the word I'm looking for. Um, it just it's just not going to work. I would not be surprised. Like they showed a the tech demo working, and it was really impressive. But it was obviously in like a a sterile environment. Like they just had it. Like this is what it will or what it should work like. Yeah. Um, but I would not be surprised if they remove that. And I will. I would actually be surprised if Crackdown Three comes out at all. One of the one of the things you have to compare it to, like it's maybe not fair to compare. No, I take that back. It is fair to compare it to the way Sony's operating. And you can also look at the way like Nintendo haven't learnt yet is that a big part of selling a console is cultivating software, you know. Yeah. Um, getting developers to bring out their titles on your console. And Sony have been really good at it recently. Um, there's things like Bloodborne, which was an exclusive because Sony went and were like, we'll give you money, give us Bloodborne. Yeah. Uh, I think Street Fighter Five. Street Fighter Five is console, console exclusive. Yeah. Sony were involved in the development. Or yes, there. they were. Um, and then there's things like obviously the Last Guardians. Is, um, that's is that, is that exclusive. That's exclusive. Yeah, Last Guardians. Because that's Japan Studio, isn't it? That's uh, yeah. That's Sony Japan. Um, um, what else? There's other games. I don't know about. Well, they're obviously involved in Shenmue Three. Yeah. Uh, and things like that. So it just. It seemed like Microsoft was doing the same thing, where they were going out and being like, "Let's go to these developers, let's get these titles in development, and we'll work with them." Yeah. And then they're just they've farted about and done what exactly? It just seems like they're they're not they're not willing to like actually cooperate with the studios. They just yeah. want to impose stuff on the studios rather than trying to help them yeah. make a game. I mean, you just look at the deal that Kojima got. Yeah. Sony are like, "Here's money, go and build games." Um, and then and, he went and spent it on actors. Yeah. Uh, just wait for the Death Stranding to be announced as a movie. Oh my god. And there is no game. Uh, but, oh well. I mean, it's no big loss, I don't think, Scalebound. It's not like we're here going like, oh, this is like PT levels of cancellation. It's just got, we didn't see enough of it to really make uh, an accurate judgement of what the game yeah. was actually going to be like. Uh, it just feels a bit weird. Yeah. It's a shame. Because I was, I was looking forward to it. Because like Hideki Kamiya, like I've not played a bad game by him yet. Yeah. Everything he's done has been good, so it's a shame to see an idea that he apparently had so much investment in just come to nothing. And if there is, as you said, a large amount of uh, meddling by X, uh, Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are like this is weird. It looks kind of uh, 
like you're not really seeing his vision in those trailers anyway. No, that's true. Um, but uh, speaking of, I guess, titles for consoles, first party or otherwise. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the launch lineup for Nintendo Switch? The launch lineup's pretty bad. Uh, well, no, that's unfair because Breath of the Wild does look very good. Breath of the Wild, which uh, a lot of people seem to be forgetting, though, is also coming out for the Wii U. Yeah, um, which Nintendo are trying to downplay quite a bit. Yeah. Like I've seen, like all the tweets they've made about it on all the social media stuff. I mean, it's coming out on the Switch in the March the third because that's when the Switch is coming out March yeah. the third. Uh, like get ready, but pre-order your Switch, even though you can't pre-order it anymore because it's sold out. Um, and there was one tweet that I saw on my timeline buried in there saying, "Will we confirm an order for Wii U soon?" <laughs> it was like they like it was the same thing that happened to Twilight Princess for the yeah. GameCube, and therefore like the Wii U copy of it will probably be worth quite a bit of money yeah. in like a couple of years. So, um, but um, yeah, like getting back to the whole thing with the launch lineup, like what is it? Like they've got one two Switch, which looks oh, what that looks fucking dire. Like, um, what do you want to do with this console? Do you want to be playing huge, expansive adventures like Zelda? Yeah. Or do you want to be wanking off a cow? Well, see, that's, that's the thing. That the Joy-Cons, right? The yeah. Joy-Cons are actually really cool. Yeah. I like the idea. Like, because you've got, you've got all four face buttons and a, an analog stick. No D-pad, unfortunately, but whatever. Um, so, like, they could actually work really well. And there's loads of things you could do with that. Where you could, like, right, you've got your two controllers and you've got your screen. Um... You could actually like make something quite cool with that. I, I, I'm not a game designer, so I can't think of anything from my heat. But yeah. you, you certainly could. But they've just seemed to have gone on this this weird tangent where they're like, well, we make like, we're just going to make this game where you like play charades with the controllers. It feels like these are Wii titles. Yeah, they are. But they've they've not got the imagination of Wii titles. Like no. that Wii Sports, right? Wii Sports was actually genuinely good because you have physical like input into what you're actually doing on screen. Yeah. And like you're actually moving like a real character. You're not like it feels a bit like um, a, like one of the the Jack in the Box games or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's it just looks so like so poorly thought out. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to find the words to describe it, but like there's the one where you're, you're eating the baguette and you just hold the control to your mouth and you, I think it must just sense that your mouth is moving like through some kind of mic or something like that. Um, and you just go like that yeah. to eat a baguette, and the baguette dis- disappears on the screen. Is like, like that is nothing compared to like. You had, Nintendo Land was actually really good. Nintendo Land was a great um, that's a showpiece good, for the capabilities of the Wii U. It's it's a good way to demonstrate the gimmicks of the hardware. It's like this is how this is like a really simple way to use this gimmick. Yeah. But imagine all the other stuff that could be done with it if Nintendo weren't incompetent. Yeah. Um, Whereas this just seems like they've looked at the Joy-Cons and went, oh, well, like we, you, there's microphones and they have uh, gyroscopes, whatever. Yeah, you can play charades with it. Like, you, like, Nintendo can do better than that. It feels like... And it's 50 quid. It feels like shovelware-grade Wii games. Yeah, it is. It, it feels like something that would be made by, like, a... I don't know, like a, a third-party company somewhere in Brighton or something like that. I don't know. Um, then it's you've just, got... Um... Uh, the stuff like uh, Splatoon 2 which fair enough it's people like Splatoon it's very popular but it exists because it sells well in Japan yeah um, and there was another one uh, Mario Kart Mario Kart's not launch not launch nope. oh, um, it's spring or summer spring. Splatoon's not launch either Splatoon's oh, okay. summer uh, so for launch you've got 1-2 Switch um, Breath of the Wild Breath of the Wild um, 
I think there's a couple of digital titles. Um, it's not a great launch, but what they have lined up for the year in comparison to the Wii U mm-hmm. is better. Yeah. Um, so you've got like some pretty big hitters. You've got the new Mario title, Mario Odyssey. Got Skyrim. Skyrim, like I've Sky Skyrim. Yeah. Um, Splatoon Two, Mario Kart. So like. At the very least, you can probably count on the new Super Mario game actually probably doing quite well. Super Mario Odyssey? Yeah. Looks weird, right? It looks very... It look, a lot of people have said it looks like Sonic Adventure, which it kind of does. Yeah. It's odd. The, my favourite one is like... Just a, a picture of Sonic walking alongside a businessman. Not Sonic. Uh, Mario. Mario walking alongside a businessman. And the, the comment just says, I thought Mario was a human. <laughs> he's, he's a different human. <laughs> he's just, what all New York problems look like. Yeah. I am walking here. Yeah, um, four goobers. Four goobers. Um, but like it's like the this the levels that don't that aren't the same yeah. look fine. Like the the Mexican town that's full of dead Mexicans, as I've seen it being described. <laughs> um, like actually looks quite fun. Like, Is it like Day of the Dead style? Yeah, it's like they're all skeletons and stuff like that. Right. Um, but it actually looks quite entertaining. And then there's like a world that looks like all this sort of polygonal like candy and all that. it's actually quite imaginative right. and then you've got this city that looks weird and dull and Nintendo well the, the head developers and that kind of thing and the director have acknowledged this thing he's meant to look at a place and it was like well, that's fine if he's meant to look at your place but it just looks really weird and boring yeah uh, one thing I'm, I just pray that it plays differently to all of the other Mario games that have been coming out recently because we've had um, things like I mean this is going to be 3D right yes it's full 3D yeah so I hope it they have this thing where like a lot of Mario games are coming out, but they all feel the same. Uh, yeah. If you look at like Super Mario Galaxy, that plays differently yeah. to Super Mario games that have come before. Uh, games like Super Mario Sunshine has they're gimmicks, but they're gimmicks that work. The gimmicks it, are integrated into the game yeah, properly. It plays differently to Super Mario Brother games that have come before, uh, and they always felt like they were at least trying to give you something new, like a hook. Um, but then. It, I'm going to call it the new Super Mario Brothers era. So you look at the new Super Mario Brothers for the 3DS. Was it or for the DS? The DS and then the and second then the new one. Super Mario Brothers 2, yeah. Uh, then there was stuff like um, new Super Mario Brothers U. Super Mario... Oh yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah. Those three games, they are, as far Again, as I can tell, yeah. indistinguishable from each other. They, they play they, exactly the same. Yeah. Then you've got the 3D Land and 3D World games, which also are very similar to each yeah. other. And they're, they're Those are good games. games. I like they're fine games, yeah. yeah. But they don't feel as good as something like Galaxy. Yeah, and Galaxy they bring back... Um, it feels like it's laziness disguised by a throwback. Yeah. So it's like, it's a throwback, so you've got the Tanuki tail. You, yeah. You're a Tanuki, you can fly. You know, remember that from... Was it Super Mario Brothers 3 or that something? That was 3, yeah. Um, and it just feels like... Yeah, like I said, it's a lot of like... It is a bit lazy where they're like, alright, we need to make a new Super Mario game, but like, there's a, there's a big nostalgia kick, so... Look, it's got Tanookis and Chardon Chucks. It's like, do you remember Super Mario 3 and World? Yeah. Do you remember those games? And it's just like, oh, well, I remember them and they were good. And this is also good, but you could be doing better by yeah. being imaginative. I mean, I don't actually like the new Super Mario Brothers games. The Super Mario Brothers 3D Land, that's a great game. If you're yeah. just looking for a Super Mario Brothers game. Uh, but new Super Mario Brothers, it's really floaty. Yeah, the physics aren't great. I, I don't enjoy those games. games. So my hope would be that... Super Mario Odyssey yes. is not just Super Mario Brothers in weird level designs. 
I want them to give me a gameplay hook, like a mechanic. Well, the the, the mechanic that being turned is you can throw your hat. Oh right, okay. That's you cool. can, you, Mario can take off his hat yeah. and he can throw it, and the the hat thrown can give you more like a a bit a bit more in terms of like what you can do with jumping. Yeah. So like you can throw your hat and then catching it makes them like they're flipping air, so you, like you jump slightly higher, yeah. or you can like somehow I don't know I don't know exactly how you do this with the controller, but you can throw the hat and it can hover there, and you can yeah. jump on the hat as a platform. So what you're saying to me is. The hat in Super Mario Brothers Odyssey is a glaive from Kingsclave. Yeah, but it's in a good game. No, um, <laughs> no, but like it's actually quite cool, and it's like it's something yeah. different, and yeah. it's a good gimmick because it's something that integrates with Mario's design. But it also makes sense. Like you can throw your hat, and you can use it as like an yeah. extra ability. It's quite cool. It's not just we've strapped water cannons yeah, to yeah. Mario's back, and there's nothing wrong with Mario Sunshine. No, even still, um, but. One thing I did notice with the uh, social media marketing for the game was um, they mentioned Mario 64. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it's a sandbox game like Mario 64. Was that a sandbox game? Not really. No. no. It's, it's a game with large levels. Yeah, it's open-ish, but sandbox to me would mean like you can do whatever you want. Like, yeah. Not to an, a certain degree. Like uh, GTA being the ultimate sandbox game. It's like, you could do the missions, or you could fly that plane and try and land it on the building. Or, yeah. do you know, like we were doing the... The, the Chiliad the, Challenge. Chiliad Challenge, where we would... Uh, mountain Chiliad being the mountain in the Grand Theft Auto Five. Yes. Uh, for the listeners at home. And San Andreas. Uh, and San Andreas. Uh, and so we had certain challenges that involved Mountain Chiliad, and I think a couple... Most of them were... First, it started off just land a plane on Mount Chiliad. Yeah. Which wasn't that hard. And then it was stuff like... Tur- invert a plane so fly it upside down jump out of the plane onto Chiliad without dying yeah uh, and then there was other ones like get on a push bike and cycle down it and stuff <laughs> jumpies and spinnies off the sound of jumpies and spinnies mm-hmm. uh, but like it's uh, but that's sandbox games yeah. that's you can make your own fun and do things that are not intended by the developer you know what Super Mario Odyssey looks really like to me and this is based entirely on the sound but it looks like Crackdown <laughs> it does Super Mario Crackdown and that's fine because it's like the, like being able to jump around in city environments and that, it'll, it'll be quite cool yeah. I'm sure it will be fine but like I, I, I don't know like it's it is better looking to me um, or more promising looking to me than 3D World was and 3D World is not a bad game it's a fine game 3D World was just to, the, to me complacent it was it was complacent that's the word um, and it was kind of more based like, oh, you can play it with four people. It's like, yeah. nobody's going to play this game with four people. Like, four people barely own Wii U's. Um, speaking of four-player four uh, co-op or four-player competitive, whichever, um, bit of a, a tangent or a, a, a jump, but did you see the screenshots from the Switch launch trailer where they're playing uh, Mario Kart? on four different Switch consoles. Oh, it's all split screen, yeah. It's split screen. So if everyone has to own their own console to play this four-player game, why is it split screen? Yeah. On a tiny screen already. Uh, there's been some explanations that people have given. It's like, oh, well, it was um, a lazy uh, demo. It's just to say, look, they're playing four-player on this. So they're playing together. And there was no better way to show it than having a split screen, or it was footage from a single console that they just pasted into these. It's consoles. probably one of those. Yeah, uh, you would hope that you could play 
full screen on this thing. Otherwise, I'm guessing it's probably network play, right? Yeah. Like, there's no like I would imagine that those games can't play any those consoles can't really do LAN. Maybe so. I don't know. I would have thought that there'd be something. Um, if the whole idea is you're bringing your console out with you, and you can be sitting in like the back of the car playing multiplayer, or on top of a a roof having yeah. a garden party playing Switch, you'd hope that you could have two consoles interacting with each other independent of a wireless network. See, I I, I don't know. Like they've not really went into specifics on that. Yeah, they've just the, said the PSP had that capability. Yeah, years ago. That's like, what's that now? Ten years ago. Uh, yeah, twelve years, years ago. Um, with things like Monster Hunter, where you could, I remember, um, actually particularly there was a great marketing thing in the queue for MCM London mm-hmm. when Monster Hunter, whichever one four probably. Uh, no, no, it was before then. Uh, I think. Was it the one for the Wii U? Three? No, no, Monster Hunter for the PSP. Oh really? Okay. Uh, I can't remember what it's called though. But mon- basically, what they Freedom did, Unite. That was it. Monster Hunter Freedom Unite. Uh, and so what they did was, in the queue, they handed out demos of Monster Hunter Freedom Unite um, in these packs, and it came with four UMDs with a demo level on it. Oh, that's and the cool. idea was, while you were in the queue at MCM London, because these queues are massive and it mm-hmm. takes ages to get through them, you could be in there for like an hour if you're waiting. So you could sit down. All of you have your PSPs out. You pop in the UMDs. You got one each. And then you can play this level for a player. Hmm. And you could do that independent of a wireless network because the PSP could talk to other PSPs. Yeah. Um, so you'd hope the Switch would have that capability. Well, they have, they've been marketing a lot specifically as a home console. Yeah. They, they, but it's that's... a home console that is clearly meant... I mean, but they, they advertise it as well with like um, eSports teams using it to practice yeah. or to sit down and... It's a social console as well. It's a home console that goes with you, and you can play multiplayer wherever you go with your friends, and you do all this stuff. See, I'm, I'm just not. This is I'm not confident enough in Nintendo to consider that. No, that's the problem. And I mean, like, they've already made a couple of weird decisions with this console. Like one of them, before getting into the big one, which I described to you last night, um, uh, voice over IP. Yeah, not available on launch. One thing. Right. So, because this is something that they haven't really had in previous consoles is good online infrastructure no but the big point of contention is that you now have to pay for online you multiplayer have to, you have to pay but it's the first time Nintendo have done that yeah uh, I, I, I kind of saw it coming when they did the whole restructuring of how Nintendo Network worked and that yeah. thing. Um, but like it was a it was a surprise and I mean like the voice over IP is coming in autumn or fall I suppose I think they're saying um, so it doesn't actually work for the console Right, you know how they've got that app for like age restriction and like man, it works through the uh, smartphone. Yeah, that's how voice over IP works. It works through your smartphone separately from the console. Yeah, and their justification of by Reggie Fizame, um, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, um, was oh you don't need big bulky gamer headsets to talk to other people on a console. It's like well, you kind of do if you want to talk to somebody through the actual console itself and get game audio. And audio from the other person you're speaking to because that's what you need. Yeah. Rather than speaking to somebody on a separate device. Like, I know everybody has a smartphone these days. Yeah. But it just seems arbitrary. It's, it's the whole thing about they're, they're trying to, it's pretty clear they're trying to get some contingency with mobile devices and all that kind of thing yeah. at the moment. So they're probably doing it as part of that so they can get their, their footing um, for anything future in case something goes wrong with the Switch, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
But the to stay on the topic uh, online before I move on to the other thing I was going to talk about, um, they are doing like a, a free game thing. Yes, but you cannot keep the games past a month. You you get the game for a month and then you can't play it after a month and it's one game a month. That's I mean, terrible. It just doesn't feel... The way... Because I don't want to keep the game. But the way it works with PS Plus is you only get to keep the games as long as you're subscribed to PlayStation Plus. That's right, correct. Um, Why can't they do it like that? See, the the justification I've seen is that they want to focus on one game a month. Right. And that's that's fine, right? So let's say it's the month in which, I don't know, Metroid was um, introduced. I I assume Nintendo still care about Metroid, which I'm sure they probably don't. Um, Let's, they give you Metroid for the NES, or Super Metroid for the NES. Yeah. And they let you play it for a month, right? And that's the only game you get for that month. But why then not let paying subscribers go back to it if they want? Like, put it in a library of, like, I don't know, like, what they call it, Nintendo Plus, for example. Like, past Nintendo Plus games, you can go and play them. That it might only be one game a month, but Nintendo have a huge back catalogue of yeah. games from the past, and they're usually pretty high quality. So they're not going to run out of games. They're never going to have to scrape the barrel if it's one game a month. That's not the problem. The problem is why take them away from paid subscribers? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I mean, on the one hand, I don't want to come across entitled. I understand that there is a great sort of uh, gamers have this tendency to be entitled. Mm-hmm. But it, it just feels like Nintendo aren't in a position to demand money for something that in the past they have been notoriously bad at. Their yeah. online infrastructure, it was supposed to be better with the Wii U. Do you remember when the Wii U was announced and they were like, oh, if you get stuck in a game, just go and talk to one of your friends and he'll tell you what he did to beat yeah. it. Um, and Miiverse was quite popular, but it was never what it was touted to be when it was no. first advertised. And then before then, uh, the Wii was even worse. With like, was it friend codes on the friend Wii? Codes. There was still uh, friend codes with me, uh, the Wii U. Yeah, but they were slightly better. And then there's um, things like well, you, you could go to people's profiles and add them on the Wii U at least, couldn't you? You could do you that. You saw yeah. them on somebody else's profile. You could click through and add them, and then you could draw on their walls and stuff. And it was fun, but it was never. It never felt like. It was fully realised. No. Uh, and then, you know, the 3DS and the DS, that was fine. Or, you know, or just the 3DS, I guess. It wasn't the DS. But yeah. the 3DS had very limited online sort of capabilities where it was you could get into a friend's game and play it mm. on a game-per-game basis and you had your friends list. It just always felt a bit sort of... It wasn't the... I mean, it's a handheld console. It's fine if it wasn't the focus. But yeah. what I'm saying is like... If Nintendo want... The thing is, Xbox Live, that came out, that's always been paid. But they were like the first to go, here is a dedicated online game service for your home console. Yeah. Uh, Before there'd been like online gameplay stuff with like... The the Dreamcast had done it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But this was the first time we were like, the the whole point was service and quality and ease. Yeah. Uh, And you know, they had it and it was great. I remember getting Xbox Live and loving it. And you paid your subscription... You knew what you were going to get from Microsoft was always going to be good online capabilities yeah. and infrastructure, and you're going to pay to have that level of quality. So there, that's the agreement. That's the uh, precedent. That's fine. Um, PlayStation Three had free online capabilities, 
but they were definitely nowhere near as good as the Xbox 360. No, there was no dedicated servers. No, I mean, it was fine, but they weren't great. And so you didn't pay for them, um, which was good. It was fun. It's like, well, you've got the choice. There's like three, but not as good. Or you could go with the Xbox and pay, but you you definitely get a certain level of quality. And then Nintendo, who've just sort of been like, we're not about online gameplay. We're more about this and, and couch you know, multiplayer and stuff like that. And, and that's fine as well. That's a great sort of stance to take. And then with the PlayStation 4, Sony were like, okay, here's the deal. We can't afford to just give you this for free mm-hmm. or we don't want to give you this for free. But what we are going to do is we're going to sweeten the deal. So here's free games and here's mm-hmm. um, this and here's that. And it's going to be, you know, the PlayStation 4 has fairly robust online capabilities. There's been some issues every now and then where like... Uh, they were obviously targets of like big, massive DDoS, you know, denial of service attacks, and the security wasn't that great. And then there's a problem with like a NAT coding for you know the audio. Yeah. If you're going into parties, sometimes you'll find you can't talk to people. So, but it is I, I think is it still cheaper than Xbox Live? By a couple of quid, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you're still you know they sweetened the deal. They said we're gonna improve it. You're gonna have to pay for it. Nintendo have come along and go. Everyone else is paying for, uh, has paid online. We're going to have paid online, but they don't seem to have done anything to be like, here is what you're getting. We know that now you have to pay for it. It's not as good as just having it for free. They haven't said, we're going to sweeten the deal. They've tried maybe, but I don't have any confidence. It's a lot cheaper though, I think I've heard, isn't it? It, I've not heard pricing to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know if maybe what I heard in terms of pricing was... Speculative. Um, I know that from launch until September or October, I think free. it is free, which yeah. is fine. Um, um, but here's the here's the issue I have with Nintendo, right? Nintendo, since the Wii was like a flash of lightning that they yeah. caught a ball, um, they've all been they've always been about like social stuff. Yeah. Um, and since Apple became popular, they've yeah. they've seen Apple blow up all their revenues and again with the iPhone. Um, and I think Nintendo are now at this. We've discussed this before, but not on the podcast. Like uh, Nintendo are trying to be their own wee niche, yeah. but it doesn't. It, they're not doing it in a way that's going to work for them because they're they, they're trying to be ahead of the curve constantly by saying like, "Oh, we don't. You don't need to like um, play all the same games that everybody else is playing. Yeah. You can play these games, and that's that's fine, right? But they're also simultaneously trying to also be the other consoles in different ways. Yeah. So like you've like they've they've got all their own exclusive titles, that's fine, right? You've got like um their main um online play titles were Devil's Third and uh Splatoon. Yeah. Right? But they're they're trying to have these online like competitive multiplayer titles, but the system the online system for the Wii U was not built to support that. Or it wasn't built well enough to support that. So yeah. that in itself, like they've got all these they've got those multiplayer games but they're nowhere near um, as if, like the system is nowhere near advanced enough to support it on the level that the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One does yeah um, and then at the same time with the Switch they're they're trying to do it again like they're they're trying to make this weird kind of console set apart for the competitors yeah where they're like oh you can take out the control you've got these controllers like a split of two there's so many modular things you can do with it um, but they're also charging for online now, yeah. and they're going to be offering the game a month now, um, and they've got voice over IP. But it's like it's got this weird thing where it like, just makes it arbitrarily like kind of weird and difficult. But it's different, so it's okay. Yeah, it's like Nintendo are trying to be different for the sake of being different, and they don't need to do that. Like that, that maybe worked in the past, and it maybe worked with the Wii, but the Wii was now ten years ago. It feels like they're 
putting the cart before the horse. Difference for difference's sake, yeah. rather than having something they absolutely wanted to do. No. Um, was there something, before we wrap up and move on to the poorly remembered game quote, I think, was there something else you wanted to say about the Switch? One last thing. One last thing. And this, this kind of, like, set alarm bells ringing for me with regards to, like, how accessories work and all that kind of thing, was the Joy-Con grip that yeah. comes in the box. The one that comes in the box doesn't let you charge the Joy-Cons. No, you need the Joy-Con charging grip. Which is $30. Uh, I did notice that there's um, been a few images breaking down the cost of certain things for the Wii, or the Switch, sorry. Um, and it does seem to follow that sort of, there's a lot of extras that you can get, which yeah. you feel like maybe could have been in, in the in the base. box. Because yeah. um, it's quite cheap, the console, it's like £280. Pounds, £280, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like you said, thirty dollars was it for the Joy-Con charger? So that'll probably look twenty-five here. Um, and then there's other items. It's just a bit strange. Uh, as long as it's working out of the box, that's fine. But things like charging, you want to be able to charge. Yeah, so especially when you're playing a game. Yeah, you have to. What you're saying is that you have to dock the Joy-Con grips into the Switch console itself to charge. You have to dock them into the into the Joy. You have to dock the. You have to dock the Joy-Cons into onto the screen. Switch. And then dock the switch into the dock. Right, so you... I right. Think. That's something that I wanted to know, and I don't know if it's been answered. Can you charge the switch on the go, or do you need the dock? I would guess you probably need... Uh, unless it's got a direct AC in, which I don't... Yeah. It has a USB-C in, yeah. but I don't know if that would allow you to charge it. Because what, what is it, 2.5 to 3 hours or something is a, is the battery life of the switch? Between 2 and 8, say, but depending two on the eight. game. Yeah. Okay, that's not so bad. It's depending on the game. Um, so I mean, you'll you'll probably get two, three hours of Breath of the Wild, for yeah. example. But that's not a game I would personally be playing on the go. Yeah, personally, but uh, we'll see. I mean, depending on what consoles are, uh, what titles come out, I, I can see myself picking up a Switch, considering it's cheap. Yeah. Um, I want to play Breath of the Wild. I want to play whatever Suda Fifty One brings it, out. Is, no it's more a, heroes. It is a No More Heroes game, but it's not No More Heroes Three. Right. They've said that. So as long as it's not. No more heroes, as yeah. in the original game. Oh no, it's not a port. It's, right. it's definitely a new game. Uh, so, shall we move on to the poorly remembered game quote? Yes. Uh, and I have one this week. This is one of my favourite games. Is that too much of a clue? The quote is, there's so much, they've broken the Beckenstein limit. So if you can tell us what that's from. Do you know what that's from? I do know what it's from. Is that because I just told you? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, just... Write in, tweet us at, is it at Ozarin or Ozarin tweets. I think. It yeah. Is, yeah. Um, send us a message on Facebook, or if you know us, just shout it at us in the street, and we'll shout out your name on the podcast and uh, get you arrested for asking. Yeah, there's no commitment to prizes like we said earlier. No, um, absolutely not. But yeah, uh, any closing remarks, Dave? Um, I hate video games. Yeah, me too. Oh. See you. Bye.